0: Needless to say, I am pumped about what the Lord wants to speak to us as a church family. I'm pumped about what the Father wants to say to us. You do know that Jesus is the Father's favorite. Like Abba really digs Jesus. From eternity past, the Father has been digging Jesus. And there's a dangerous prayer when you start saying, Father, would you give me the same kind of love for Jesus that you have for him? You might just find yourself getting changed. (laughs) That's what I'm praying for us. I'm praying for myself in 2023. That I will be more in love with Jesus. I'll be more obsessed with Jesus. I'll be more Jesus-focused and centered than any other year in my life. And that's what I'm praying for our church family. That as we walk together week after week after week, just walking through the gospel of John, just looking at Jesus, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? And Father, give me the same love for Jesus that you have for him. And just regularly, week in and week out, asking the Father to change us. So that's basically what we're doing in this series, (laughs) which I don't know about you, that sounds fantastic. And that's not preacher hype, that's just like Jamie needs that, and I believe our church family needs it too. So, if you would turn into your Bibles to John chapter one, we're going to be looking at verses nineteen to thirty-four. This is John one, verses nineteen through thirty-four. Message messages entitled "Who Are You Beholding?" Who Are You Beholding? The message is in four parts. Number one, we're going to look at some context. And background to this text. Secondly, we're gonna look at the question, Who are you? This is chapter 1, verses 19 to 28. Thirdly, we'll look at Behold the Lamb, verses 29 to 34. Then we're gonna have some application and some ministry time. Okay, context and background. I'll do this quickly. I mentioned earlier uh, in 2023, the plan is to walk through the Gospel of John. We're just looking at Jesus. Asking of the text, literally every week to just look at the text and say, what does this teach us about Jesus? And Holy Spirit, would you help us to love Jesus the way the Father loves Jesus? We already started this series technically during Advent. During Advent, we walked through the prologue of John. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18 is commonly known as the prologue to this gospel. And then today we're starting in verse 19. And, and verse 19 through 34 is kind of a transitionary thing. Uh, we mentioned this during Advent. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, known as the Synoptic Gospels, do something very different when they start the gospel. They, they jump into different ways. Mark is like, let's hit John the Baptist and let's go hard in the paint at ministry. Matthew is saying, hey, let's let's start with genealogy let's look at joseph and, and the, the christmas story luke's like let's get this thing going with big time christmas lots of songs let's get the magnificat in there let's get noctemittis in there let's get all of these songs in here and john's like i tell you what we're going to do we're going to pull back to the uh, eternal lens of pre-eternal life in the beginning was the word And so it's very different, verses 1 to 18. It's very different. That's why they call it a prologue. And then 19 to 34 is kind of this transition thing with John the Baptist. And then after 34, you get into verse 35 of chapter 1, and then we begin to hit the ministry of Jesus as he meets his disciples. He engages with his first miracle, which is, does anybody know? Just a little fun Bible trivia this morning. What's Jesus' first miracle? Turning the water into wine at a wedding, in Cana, which is absolutely fantastic, that the first miracle was at a party. Okay, that's two weeks from now. I just, I just got really excited. Last thing that I want to mention about context and background for the text right now: it's hard to it's hard to overstate the national uh, and geopolitical tension that is at play in this text right now. Like, I, I, I can't overstate it. You know, uh, Katie's up here talking about the Bengals. Remember last year at the Super Bowl, like the week between the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, you know how you could like feel it in the city? You know what I'm saying? Like you could feel it. Like people are like, doing all this kind of stuff, right? I don't know who does that. I was doing that apparently, like five seconds ago, but that You could feel it in the air, right? Now, take that, make it geopolitical, put it in, in Jewish people's hearts as they're being dominated by Rome. Are y'all with me right now? There is this time period, it is, it is bubbling up with this sense, we need a deliverer who will come. We need somebody to come and save us. We need, we need somebody who's going to come and take out the Romans and bring us back to be the people of God in our promised land. You, I, 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 I could preach all on this. There is, a, there is a tension here in the text. When John the Baptist shows up, there's a lot of tension in the land. Roman domination, exacting taxes from the people, and a bristling sense we want, we need a Messiah. We need a rescuer. We need a deliverer. And it's not just like it's not just coming out of thin air. The the Old Testament, the scriptures of the people of Israel, is, is filled with these promises. Promises like: there's one coming from David who will come and restore the people. <laughs> and and promises like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh. <laughs> I'm gonna take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna put my spirit inside of you so that you will obey my law. And not to mention the very last book of the Old Testament in our Protestant version of it. You know this, Malachi. Literally, the last thing in the Old Testament says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The last thing that a prophet says, the last word of God to the people up until this point was, Hey, Elijah's coming. And he's going to prepare a way for the Lord's day to come and bring freedom. And then there was 400 years of silence after that. Just, can you imagine? You don't hear from the Lord for 400 years. 400 years. I'm going to send Elijah. He's coming to prepare the day of the Lord. He's coming. And the, the deliverer is coming for 400 years, and along comes John the Baptist, (laughs) eating locusts and honey, wearing strange clothes out in the desert, huh, wearing strange clothes that looks just like Elijah's outfit. Are y'all with me right now? This tension. Okay, let's get into the text, because I'm starting to get real excited. Part two. Who are you? This is verse 19 to 28. Uh, John 1, 19 to 28. I'm reading in the ESV. John, the son of Zebedee, who authored this gospel, not to be confused with John the Baptist, writes this. And this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who Are you? Okay, so you have this John the Baptist character. He's bearing witness. You have these priests and Levites coming from Jerusalem. They're asking him the question, who are you? Continue, verse 20 and 21. He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. They're asking this question, who are you? Because the tension is in the air. They're seeing this dude. They're like, okay, he's coming from the desert. He's coming from the wilderness. He's acting kind of weird. He's baptizing people. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the deliverer who's to come. They said, who are you? Verse 20, he confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the one that you've been waiting for. I am not the deliverer. Verse 21, he says, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? You look like Elijah. You're wearing Elijah's clothes. You're wearing his belt. You're doing some strange, crazy stuff. He said, I'm not. He said, okay, are you the prophet? He answered, No. Now, some of you may say, okay, so we got Messiah. That's a fairly understandable figure. You've got Elijah. Okay, got it. That's an understandable figure. Who's the prophet? What are they talking about? Well, scholars are a little bit debating on this, but many believe that the prophet is, you remember Moses said in Deuteronomy eighteen five, he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses talking. He'll raise up a prophet like among you like me, and it is him to you who you shall listen. So another sort of messianic figure in this season. So they said, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Verse 22. So they said to him, well, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. So it says, three denials. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. Here's who I am. I'm a voice. He says, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. He begins to quote Isaiah chapter 40. And he identifies himself with this prophecy from Isaiah 40. And he begins to say, I am the voice that is crying out in the wilderness. Now, sometimes people are like, what are you talking about, John? What are you talking about? Here's Isaiah 40. That's fantastic. The prophet writes, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare would be ended. That her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed." And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's a fantastic chapter. I wish I could read it all, but go back and read it yourself. This chapter is about good news. This chapter is, is uh, thinking about two different things. Number one, it's thinking about the exodus. This idea of making straight away through the desert is talking about the exodus event that there was a deliverer there was a messianic kind of guy named Moses that took the people of, of Israel out of Egypt. Through the desert into the promised land. So that whole idea, being in slavery, going through a wilderness, and then finding freedom in a promised land, that is a cycle that goes over and over throughout the biblical narrative. You all know this, right? This is standard biblical theology. So this passage is talking about that. That a voice is crying out in the wilderness and saying, there's a straight way that God is coming and bringing a deliverance to us. But it's interesting, Isaiah is also writing this down after the Exodus. So the original hearers of this text are also, where are they? Does anybody know the original hearers of this text? They're in Babylon, (laughs) right? (laughs) They're in slavery. They are enslaved. Are you all following me right now? They're talking about an exodus that you were, the people of God were enslaved. They go through a wilderness and find the promised land and freedom. And there's a, a mediator, a Messiah figure that takes them out. But the text is being written to a people that are also enslaved in Babylon. And are, are looking to a deliverer who will take them into the promised land again. So there's this cycle over and over and over. And so now... John comes on the scene and says, make straight a way through the wilderness. And the people are like, we're enslaved to Rome. We're enslaved to Rome. We need a a, a Messiah figure, a mediating figure to come and bring freedom to us because we're currently enslaved. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying here? And so he cries out and says, make a straight way. Prepare the way because the Lord is coming to rescue you. Make straight the way. In the wilderness, there was an exodus from Egypt, there's an exodus from Babylon, there's about to be an exodus from the slavery to sin. Of course, there's confusion, we know this through the gospel, there's confusion because the original hearers are thinking, are, now are you going to take out Rome? Like, they've even forgotten. Actually, it's about the heart, isn't it? About well, slavery to sin in our hearts, not just about Rome. It's so funny. We're so prone to take the freedom passages and the freedom concepts about God and apply them geopolitically rather than spiritually. In fact, it happens in the U.S. all the time. Oh, if we just had this person in office, then everything would be right. No. If we just had this kind of leader with these values, everything will be right. I just want to say very lovingly, Jesus supersedes American politics. And the freedom that Jesus brings is actually a deeper freedom that is, it is beneath legislative values. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes we get confused. Just like the, the, the early church here, prior to the ascension and the pouring out of the Spirit, Jesus, so you've been raised from the dead. Are you going to take out Rome now? Like, you going to get Caesar? Like, are you going to, so we can, we can be the big dog. Like, we could be the the political party in power. Like, are you, are you going to, and Jesus like, you don't even know what you're talking about. I'm talking about freedom on the inside. I'm talking about freedom from your sin. I'm talking about freedom from addictions and brokenness. I'm talking about freedom from the capacity, this this over and over and over. I can't get rid of this sin. I can't get rid of it. I don't don't know what's wrong with me. I have an addiction in my life. I need freedom. Are you hearing me right now? That is a significant enslaving thing that is due all of us because of our sin and brokenness and our rebellion against God. And the Jesus who has come is that I have come to set the captives free, not geopolitically. Oh, no, no, in your heart, setting you free that you are bound right now outside of Jesus. So John the Baptist comes and says, there's a dude coming. He's about to bring people who are enslaved through the wilderness and into freedom. Oh, that's good preaching. I'm blessing myself up here. (laughs) Let's keep going. Okay, I'm in Isaiah. Let's go back to John. Okay. 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, a religious sect in Judaism. I don't have time to get into it. Verse 25. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Why are you baptizing? Why are you doing what you're doing? John said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. <laughs> Even who, he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am, not worth, un, I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So the religious leaders are like, okay, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not this prophet. What are you doing, John? Like who gave you the authority to just go out on the east side of the Jordan and just start baptizing people? By the way, He's baptizing Jewish people. Everybody look at me right now. He's baptizing Jewish people. He's taking Jewish people. He's the first Baptist. I always like to joke about that. I grew up Southern Baptist. Jewish people are coming to him. He's saying, baptizing them. And the religious leaders are sitting back and going, okay, we know about the mikvahs. We know about the cleansing. We know about ritual cleansing. Um, What are you doing? Because what you're doing looks like something else fact, it looks like proselyte baptism. Now, proselyte baptism in this day was if you were a Gentile, not an ethnic Jew, and you wanted to join Judaism, you would come and be baptized the way that John is baptizing these people. Is everyone with me right now? So it's called proselyte baptism. So say I'm a Gentile, which I am technically, but let's just say I am a Gentile, and I want to become a Jew, then I would go through a baptism like what John is doing, okay, And the religious leaders are going, wait, 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 time out, time out, time out. The Gentiles are sinful people and they're getting baptized to become holy people like us. So why are you taking holy people like us and baptizing us to be what? Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, they're saying, look, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. I am loved and honored by God, I am chosen by God. Why would I be baptized? Listen, baptism symbolizes I'm dying to my old self and I'm becoming something new. This is what baptism shows. It's like going through the the Red Sea, dying and coming to life. So the Jewish people are like, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. I'm holy and righteous and just because I'm ethnically Jewish. So why am I being baptized to become holy in something other? And John goes, exactly. It's because something new is here. (laughs) And actually, Jew and Gentile must die to their old self and be raised in Christ. That's what he's saying. But the religious leader's like, this doesn't make sense. We obey the law. He's like, it's not about obeying the law. It's about coming into a new thing. In the other gospels, he talks about repentance that bears fruit. I don't have time to get into that because it's not in this text. But let's keep going. I'm just—I'm I'm trying to help us with the context. So you understand what's happening in—in in the room, as they're talking. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Verse twenty. My Bible's turning on me. Yeah, verse twenty-seven. Let's back it up to twenty-six. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you do not know. Ouch. He's the Messiah. You don't know him. Ouch. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Somebody say not worthy. He's talking about this Messiah character. He says, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, there's a rabbi around Second Temple Judaism time that wrote that, listen, a a teacher, a master, has disciples, and the disciples are serving the master. Now, and he basically said this, listen, uh, the disciple can serve the master in every single way, can serve them in any way, except they ain't gonna touch their shoes. You're like, well, what does that mean? I mean, you got Air Jordans. I mean, that seems kind of nice. I'm gonna polish it. No, no, actually, in that culture, to touch someone's shoes was like servant work. Are you all with me? So you got, you got the master, the teacher. You have the disciples who are serving this master. They could do pretty much anything to serve the master, except like what you're not gonna do is you're not gonna touch their feet or their shoes. And John says, I'm not even worthy, not even to take off his shoes, like to untie the sandals. I you, when I when I read this, I thought to myself, what kind of perspective must you have on Jesus, that you think to yourself, he is so boss status in my life that I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe. I'm not even worthy to be a servant or a slave to him. And I just, I want to press here, friends. Listen, I wrote a book called Friendship with God, so I'm not against the intimacy and the tenderness that we experience with Jesus. I'm not against it. However, let's all remember, he's the boss. He's also the boss that loves us and is tender towards us. Yes, yes, and amen. also, sometimes, especially in church cultures, we think that we're the boss because we're doing the right stuff. Well, we're the good people. What are you talking about yielding and being submissive to? I want to ask you. When you think about Jesus, when you think about 2023, you make your plans for 2023. Is Jesus the boss of all the plans, Come on, yeah. or are you just coming up with resolutions that sound good to you because you saw some YouTube person talking about something? You know, you should read this book on blah blah blah. Well, what did Jesus say? You hear me? Is Jesus boss? Last thing I want to say, man, (laughs) last thing I want to say, because some of you are, there's little alarm bells going off in your mind a little bit, because you're thinking to yourself, wait, John said about himself, I'm not Elijah. But didn't Jesus say something? Do you all remember this? What what does Jesus say about John? He is, he is Elijah. (laughs) He is the forerunner. He is the one to come. Does that, does that bother anyone? It bothers me. It bothered me all week. I was like, ah. Come on, John. Step into your destiny, brother. Right? <laughs> Step into your calling. Step into your identity. We've been just looking at identity all year last, or all fall last year. And I felt like something. I'm just submitting this. Y'all can test it. Do whatever you want to do with it. John's self-identification is Christocentric rather than self-centered. Let me say it a different way. When John is looking to identify himself, who he is, he is fixed on Jesus and not self in such a way that when asked, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? He's like, I'm the dude that points to that dude. Are y'all hearing me right now? So, so his identity, his self-identification is Jesus-centered. No, I'm known as in relation to how I point others to him. And I just want to encourage us. You've heard all kinds of things. Maybe you've heard from the Lord specific things that he's going to do in your life. I say yes and I meant all that. I love that. Also, why don't you let Jesus say over you who he says you are rather than you telling a bunch of people who you are? He, he was the Elijah, but he let Jesus tell him. He let Jesus tell everyone else. It's kind of like the parable when Jesus said, you're at a feast, don't, don't, don't take the top seat. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't, don't come and sit right here. Actually, go to the end of the table, to the low spot, and then the master will say, why don't you come on up here? It's, it's better to be honored by Jesus than to be puffed up in front of others. This is what, this is what I'm feeling here. That our identities... As glorious as they are, we're seated with Christ, we're loved, we're heirs of the kingdom. This is all fantastic stuff, but is, is your core identity Christ-focused primarily, or is it you-focused? And in our culture, our self-identification is, we are obsessed with ourselves. Oh, well, what do I feel like I am right now, what? No, how about Jesus tells you who you are. But I'm not sure which gender. No, actually, Jesus tells you. No, 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 Jesus is in charge, Jesus is the boss. You you can't self identify with any sort of authority because Jesus created you. So, whatever you think you are, Jesus is the boss. Jesus tells you who you are. And I want to encourage when you think about yourself, like John, are you thinking primarily about self or self in relationship to Jesus? He says, I'm the voice. Even, even my self-identification is about Jesus. Okay, that's good preaching too. Behold the Lamb, verse 29 to 34, third part. The next day, now, this is so interesting. So now we got chronology happening here. One day, he's answering the Pharisees. The next day, I just, this will be fun for you all. Do you know that the, the chronology continues? Everybody, look at chapter 2. What does does it say on the first verse of chapter 2? On the third day. So I'm just saying that so that you can see the chronology that's happening. So one day, John has this encounter. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Nope, 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 I'm a voice. The next day, we have this. The third day, Jesus Cana. Okay, that's two weeks from now. Verse 29. The next day, he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is fantastic. (laughs) And also, really striking to me. How does John know all of this? 400 years of silence. He sees his cousin, by the way. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to answer the question as to how he knows that. But I just want to put a little bit of pressure here. That's a lot of deep atonement, propitiation, theology coming out of the mouth of John in verse 29. (laughs) Like he hasn't read Paul yet. Actually, he never reads Paul, but you know what I'm saying. he He didn't go to seminary. He didn't learn any of this. He didn't look at any systematic theologies. He just looks at a dude, his cousin, and goes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb taking away the sin of the world is another common motif. You see it with Abraham offering Isaac. You remember this? Getting ready to offer Isaac, his beloved son the son of promise, the son by whom God would bless all the peoples. Abraham is getting ready to sacrifice Isaac because God told him to do it. He has his knife out. An angel stops Abraham and says, look, there's a a ram, there's a lamb there, sacrificial. This animal will die in place of Isaac. Then you have the Passover lamb. Everyone knows this. In Exodus, the last plague, the firstborn Um, of, of every family will be killed unless the lamb, the sacrificial lamb's blood was placed on the door frames. We see it in the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. It was like a lamb led to the slaughter. This suffering servant dying for the sins of the world. And then we see it, of course, Revelation 5, worthy is the lamb that was slain. There is a common motif. But by the way, John John hasn't been to any classes. He just says, behold, the Lamb of God. I promise I will answer the question. Let's keep going. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Quick question. Was John born first, or was Jesus born first? John. Look at the text again. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Uh (laughs) I'm telling you, man. How does he have this revelation? Let's keep going. I'll answer it. Verse 31. I myself did not know him. What? But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. It's like, oh, okay, okay. So when I start baptizing, and I'm baptizing Jesus, I'm baptizing people, and it causes Israel to go, what are you doing, John? He says, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he says, behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, both Gentile and Jew. Verse 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. We know this from Luke and Matthew. This is a retelling. John is remembering something that happened before. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Verse 33, I myself did not know him, but listen. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. Is everybody with me right now? (laughs) I didn't know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist got revelation straight from the first member of the Trinity, God the Father, and the Spirit. It said, John... Get out there. Start dunking people. You're going to be the first Baptist. Go get them. Dunk them. He's like, why? Here's the deal. You're going to be forerunning my deliverer. And this is how you know who, it, who the dude is. When you dunk him and pull him back out, the Spirit of God, third member of the Trinity, fully God, in a dove form will come, or like a dove, not in dove form, like a dove, will come and rest on him and will remain. This, of course, pulls up all kinds of Isaiah passages. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to declare good news, that the, the Spirit of God would actually come upon this deliverer. And, and he would actually bring freedom because the Spirit of God would come and remain on him. And further, this same one would baptize others so they would have the Spirit as well. Joel chapter 2, Ezekiel 36. All of these things are all coming together. It's the Spirit who remains. Man, okay, we better apply this thing. This has been fun, though. Okay. Man, two applications. There are two imperatives in the text. That is to say, there are two Greek words with an imperative force, imperative sense. They are commands in the text. The first one is this it's in verse 23. It says, Make straight. The way of the Lord. That's an imperative command. He's quoting Isaiah 40. Make straight. It's a command in the text. The other command is found in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold. Behold is an imperative command in the text. Those are the two. Make straight and behold. Now, just because something is in an imperative sense doesn't mean that we should necessarily apply it all the time. But those are really good places to start. So that's where I'm going to apply Make straight and behold. I want to encourage you, where are the areas in your life where you need to prepare and, and to intentionally engage with the Holy Spirit to make your way straight in your life? And this, you know, it's tied to resolutions, it's tied to the new year, but are there areas in your life that aren't, aren't straight? That There's areas in your life where sin has taken hold. And you need the Spirit of God to come and to make them straight. And I'm not talking about human willpower. I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to get rid of this addiction. I'm going to, no, no, actually. It's partnering with the Spirit of God to put to death sin in your life and to prepare the way of the Lord. Secondly, behold. John says, look, gaze, set your attention on the Lamb of God. I want to encourage you This is what what we're doing in this series. That week after week, we want to behold the Lamb. We want to behold him. We want to gaze upon him. We want to see him as he is, that he's the boss and he's the king. He's the ruler. He is the one who has come to die for our sins, for the sins of the world. He was raised on the third day that we would have eternal life, forgiveness of sins. And he calls us to himself that we would come and receive eternal life. I want to encourage you to behold Jesus. What does that mean? It means asking the Lord to open your eyes to the glory of Jesus. It means engaging in, it means engaging in the scriptures this year. I, I just, you know, we're in a season where everyone's talking about, okay, I got my read-through the Bible program, I got my Bible reading program. If you do not have a regular rhythm of Bible reading ready to go, I want to highly exhort you to get one you want to grow in beholding jesus get in the text you say well this is just some jesus said the scriptures point to me <laughs> you want to behold jesus get in the text ask the holy spirit to show you